we have to realize that the only way to truly understand each other and come to a world where we're a little bit less divisive and a little bit less prone to fighting with each other is to look at what brings us together, not what separates us. And what brings us together is our values. So as corny as it sounds, if we just change the way we look at each other, we can change the world. It's good for your business. It's good for you. It's good for all of us if we can switch over to a values-driven way of thinking about each other and the people in the world around us. Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, it's my distinct honor to welcome David Allison, the founder of the Value Graphics Project. Now, David is quite the keynote speaker, and that's how I came to learn about his work initially. He was presenting to the group, uh, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, a fee-only financial advisor group that I'm a part of. And I saw him, and he just started blowing my mind left and right and left and right, and I left there, and I was like, well, I hadn't looked at the world this way, but now I can't not see it this way. So, David, I'm so happy to have you here and for you to share the work that you're doing. Well, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for thanks for inviting me to come and talk to your audience. And uh, I'm, I'm a speaker. It's what I like to do. I like to talk. So I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Well, let's get right into it, leading with the word value graphics. Now, I don't know what the market penetration of the word value graphics is, but I don't think it's quite the same as demographics or psychographics. So can you help us understand what the heck is value graphics? What does that mean? Sure. The best way to describe it is uh, to maybe look at what those other two words are that we do know. So demographics are the labels we're all familiar with, those typical ways of looking at people, the you know age and gender, and income, marital status, number of kids, education, white collar, blue collar, pink collar, all that kind of stuff. Right, right. Uh, and that's a useful tool because, you know, not everybody or everything is for everyone or everything, right? Right, uh, right, right. I usually will at this point reach for the reading glasses. They were there, reading glasses. And I say, you know, there's a demographic reality around who's going to buy these things. They're not going to be 17 year olds. And right. let's say they're made out of platinum. They're going to, it's not going to be for 17 year olds who have no money because they'll be expensive. And <laughs> these ones happen to be super wide because I have a big head. So they're, they're, they're for guys. So there's a demographic reality around who's going to buy these things. That's cool. But, you know, what we've been doing wrong is saying, okay, we know that stuff. And so now we know who those people are and we can sell them some reading glasses. And in fact, you don't know who they are. All you know is what they are. It's just a label, right? You don't, people who fit that, they're not the same as each other. That would be ridiculous to think that. But that's, that's the kind of, you know, group psychosis that we've been, we've been dealing with in the business world for a very long time. So that's demographics. Psychographics is a term that fewer people are familiar with, but still a lot, a lot of folks. And it's kind of everything else 
what do we know about this group of people? How many pairs of reading glasses do they own? And how much do they spend per pair? And do they keep them all in one place or they scatter them in every room in their house? And do they break them by sitting on them? And like, do they hate them? Do they love, like all that kind of stuff. The best definition of psychographics is just everything that's already happened, everything we already know. And the, oh. it's cool because you see some patterns, but yeah. uh, you know, all that information comes from the same place, which is the past. Because yeah. if we know it, then it's over. Uh, yeah. And generally, the reason we're trying to understand people, understand each other, is because we want to influence what happens next. We want to, we're looking forward. So trying to use yeah. historical information and labels um, from demographics is like driving your car forward by only looking in the rearview mirror. Like sure. you could probably get there, but it's, you could just as easily go into the ditch or hit a telephone pole. Yeah. Um, so if you want to try and understand what's next and how people will make their next choice and their next um, decision in their life, you have to know how people make decisions. And mm -hmm. there's a long drawn out process we can go into here, but from a neurological perspective, just let's leave it at this. Your brain, whether you like it or not, is making every decision in your life based on your values. So right. if values drive our decision-making process, and what we're trying to do is understand a group of people here, we got some demographics around those reading glasses, we got some psychographics around those reading glasses. If you add value graphics, if I can now tell you that these people who are gonna buy these reading glasses are all driven by the value of family and social standing, well, now you know what to say and what to do. Uh, family, you're going to talk to them about how these reading glasses are going to make it easier for you to provide for your family and read books to your grandkids and be all about family. And social standing, well, yeah, they're platinum uh, and they're really rare and expensive because you want to be able to brag about your reading glasses, I guess. Uh, so if you have all three things, demographics, psychographics, value graphics, you really know people. If you only have two, Demographics and psychographics, you don't really have much to go on, but that's the way the whole business world operates. It's kind of scary, frankly. So this is, you know, you you come from a background of marketing. And this, before we started the recording, you were sharing that, yeah, you know, we used to just focus really hard on the demographics and then we'd be surprised at who showed up for our services. Yeah. And so it's led you on this journey of figuring out well, what is it that we're actually trying to do to attract people. And I think, you know, in the context of couples looking for financial services, you know, I, even I was going to tell you before the podcast, well, and really, Oh, I was going to use my demographics, uh, mostly 35 to 55 year olds, you know, they're highly educated, so on and so forth. And it's like, really what we're, t what, what I'm attracting though, is there's probably particular values that are attracted to this particular podcast and family would be one of them, right? It's like, I want my family life to be good. I'm going to listen to the healthy love and money podcast. So what are the different kind of categories of values that people are most affiliated with? Mm. Well, you know, we've done close to a million surveys around the world now in uh, 152 uh -huh. different languages. And we've measured and uh, built an inventory of core human values. The first time it's ever been done for the, for the whole planet. We, we all, we now know what everyone's values are, which is kind of crazy to think that we've been the driving force behind that. Uh, and there's 56 values. Uh, okay. it doesn't seem like a lot when you think about it. You know, I sometimes when I'm speaking, I'll compare it to a, 
um, other things that we know of that are maybe easier to get our head around, like a piano. There's, there's only 88 keys on a piano keyboard. So uh, yeah. there's fewer values that drive all human behavior and decisions and emotions than there are keys on a piano. So it's not really that much, which is like the good news right now at this moment in history that where, where there's like so much divisiveness and so much, so many groups of people for their own purposes are trying to convince us that we're really different from each other. But you know what? We're not all that different from each other. Uh, right, there's differences, right. but we're not all that different. So how the people who are listening to this podcast, um, they're going to be listening to this podcast for all kinds of different reasons, even though it's called healthy love and money and it's about family. Um, sure. That's, that's obvious that there's going to be some people who value family and probably one of the other 56 values, which is financial security. That's probably yeah. a value. Right. Um, but you know what? There might be some weird ones, things like, um, well, social standing is a value I referenced earlier in my little conversation about those platinum reading glasses, yeah, which, by the way, they're not. Those are just plain old bog standard reading <laughs> glasses. I don't want anybody to think that I'm running around buying Because yeah, that's not a value for you. Not a value for me. But, but you know right. what? One of the reasons that social standing people might be attracted to this podcast is they're kind of trying to learn new things so that they can be the smart one in the room next mm -hmm. time these conversational topics come up. The, the currency that they're taking away from this might be the ability to be the smarty pants. Okay. And that's about social standing. Uh, or maybe it's about mm, friendship. Uh, it could be that a bunch of their friends are in into this world in a big way. They're either very involved with their financial advisor or perhaps their financial advisors or they're people who just talk about these subjects a lot. And so whenever they're hanging out with their friends, they feel a little bit left out. And so this is the show that's giving them the ability to have better bonds with their friends. We won't know that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, there's going to be a mixed bag of reasons why anyone's attracted to anything. Uh, and, uh, that's the secret is to try and figure out what's really going on for each person, which of the, which of the 56 values are they using to make all the decisions that they make in the course of their life, including what podcast am I going to listen to? Sure. So of those 56 values that you've distilled down, do they then break down into like groups, like subgroups, like, a, you know, these 12 values represent this kind of, or, right, or is it, does it, is it mm, not not right to do it that way? Well, you know, we tried for a long time, and there's a, there's a few groups that are kind of obvious. Um, but the here's the so one of them, for example, is a cluster of values we call the togetherness values, and those are all values okay. about how people like to be with each other. So belonging, community, friendship, um, yeah. uh, relationships, and a missing one. Uh, there's five of them in total. Uh, and then there's another little cluster of security values that are um, financial security, employment security, and just plain old bog standard security. Uh, but it starts to break down because those 56 values, they mean a lot of different things to different people. So for example, belonging, that's a big value. Number one value in the United States, belonging. But there's 912 different meanings for belonging. So those meanings, if you add them all up for all the different 56 values, there's more than 8,000 codes 
in our database for how all those 56 values show up in people's lives. Now, here's what's interesting. The meanings you can cluster. Okay. Because yeah. what people mean when they're talking about belonging might be very similar to what someone else means when they're talking about personal growth. And so if you take the meanings, you're like, oh, if we do something for these people based on this meaning and that meaning, we're hitting two of their core values with right. the same thing, right? So you can sometimes get two birds with, the, with one stone. Is that getting, am I getting two in the weeds? I think I might be. No, I love it. I mean, you know, I, I'm a nerd, so I tend to, you know, the show is nerd oriented and we love to get into details. And if I lose people, come on back and join us. Um, <laughs> And so I do have some nerdy follow-up questions, but before we go there, I think one of those things that I think is really interesting that you said is, okay, so yeah, we do have these 56 values that we've identified, but the meaning that can be given to each one of the values can be quite disparate. And so that's where there's subtlety. And I, you know, I, I love your analogy of the piano and the 88 keys and thinking about just how much different music there is with one piano set. Right, right. right? Like all yeah. the different stuff. Like, I mean, we say there's a classical and then there's rock and jazz. And I, I'm not a super music person. So people are like, Ed, you barely miss, you cover the surface, but there's so much more. <laughs> right. Like, even within each type of music, there's a lot of variety. And so, yes, there are these core universal values as humans that we collectively have. And yet, the way those values get played out or sound, there can be some variety. And people may just be missing it because it's like, yeah, he's playing the classic rock of belonging and I'm playing, you know, rock and roll belonging. Yeah. We're really talking about belonging. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to carry that analogy a little bit further, um, you might all be sitting around trying to sing happy birthday, uh, but, you know, there's you could play happy birthday in a way that's very um, jazzy and you could play it in a way that's very classical and you could play it in a way that's... Uh, kind of honky tonk and you could play it in a way that's kind of rock and roll same song uh but you can right. play it in all kinds of different ways right uh and right. same 88 keys we're using to play the same song but playing it in all kinds of different ways um so the important thing is to understand that we're all trying to sing happy birthday uh we all might have a slightly different flavor of that a slightly different version that we prefer um, but it's all happy birthday. So that's why looking at it from a values level, the 56 values, that's the place to be because belonging can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it's all about belonging. Right. Uh, we got to figure out a way to, uh, get everybody singing on the same, uh, singing around the same sheet music. So you said belonging is the number one value of Americans. Yeah. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, that's correct. More so than family. Which is interesting. And yet, if you were to look... Now, you're Canadian, so you, you look at us from the outside a little bit. Yeah. But I think probably someone in, like, Japan or Germany or Chile would look at the U.S. and say, those guys are at such war with each other, they couldn't possibly value belonging. How do we explain this? How do we make sense out of this? Yeah. Let me, let's, let's talk about Canada versus the U.S. because it's a great way to talk about it, right? So in the U.S., yeah. it's number one and number two, belonging and family. In Canada, okay. family, belonging. Same two values, oh. pretty close to each other in yeah. terms of percentage, um, but they're just flipped. Yeah. 
Okay. So in the U.S. right now, you're right. Your your values are on display because Uncle Sam and Aunt Sally are not invited to Thanksgiving this year because they yeah. chose the wrong group. They're on the red team, not the blue team. Right. And right. so we're not having them over to our house. The right. who they how our belonging shows up is more important than our families. Whereas in Canada, we watch that, and I have to say that's been one of the most shocking parts of this whole process that my American friends are going through right now is watching how it's dividing families because we can't fathom uh, an ideological difference around politics preventing us from being with our family. Uh, the belonging streak in the U.S. is so strong. It's why um, sports are as big as they are in the U.S. You have your team... And, you know, I'm, I'm not a big sports guy, but many of my friends up here are sports fans, and but they're not yeah. going to live, eat, and breathe their team the way that my American friends do, where the whole world grinds to a halt because it's the big game. And it's time, doesn't matter, we're going to have that TV on over the dining room table because it's the game. Uh, it's uh, And I'm wearing the jersey, and I'm going to the tailgate party, and I'm buying tickets, and we're bringing the whole family, and we're going to go to the, the... There's a... There's a belonging uh, value that from an outsider's perspective is quite obvious uh, across the across the United States. It's very strong. Well, I guess, right, so it, maybe, I don't know, this is my language, but it's the shadow side of belonging in, in that, like, I need to belong to this so, so deeply, the red group, that I can't even imagine that you know, someone else has as equal need to belong to the blue group. And we forget that we're both trying to meet the need of belonging. We, we just lose sight yeah. of the fact that it's like, I mean, that, you know, in, in the more friendly, I'm pointing at the political stuff. But, I mean, look, I'm not a huge super sports guy. And I think it, it has confounded me in college sports. People have their team. And they just almost see the other team as this, like, unhuman opponent. And yeah. I'm just, like, as someone that's not invested in either of them, I kind of, like, I don't get it i mean it's taking me a long time to understand some degree of like okay the legacy but yeah so so if we so u.s and canada belonging family u.s canada family belonging what some of our friends around the globe what do you see as some of those top values showing up Mm. yeah it's really fascinating when you start looking around the world so for example uh in the on the continent of africa yeah you know they're kind of an outlier in that the value of community is way up at the top of the list. It's more important than family, than belonging, than friendships, than relationships. We've, I don't think there's anywhere else in the world where community is as important as it is in Africa. Now, I don't know a whole lot about Africa. I haven't been before. Hoping one day one of my speakers bureaus will find me a speaking gig and I can go and uh, uh, check out Africa. Um, that's a big, it's a big place. Uh, so there's a lot of, I'll have to be there for a lot of speaking gig, big gigs before I can actually right. ever understand it all by myself. But I called some people over there who are uh, ethnographic researchers who've devoted their lives to trying to understand people in a very qualitative way. My work is mostly quantitative, although there's a lot of qual, call what we do qual quant data. So there's people who are purely qualitative, who do things like embed themselves in families for a week and watch how everybody's interacting with each other. So they get really down into the, you know, nitty gritty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I talked to them about it and they're like, oh yeah, of course, it makes perfect sense. Community 
uh, is the number one most important structure here in Africa. Because we're not that far removed from a more subsistence level of uh, existence, where we had to support each other. You know, when you don't have a lot, knowing that other people have got your back uh, when you're not doing so great is, is an integral part of how you survive. And then in return, knowing that when you do have and others don't, that you're going to support them. And that in fact, family and friendships and relationships, they're all part of the community. Whereas in the United States and Canada, we think about community as something that comes second or third or fourth after our family. That's the most important social structure where Africa yeah. it's flipped. Um, in fact, there's this concept in Africa called Ubuntu, which I, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. It's U-B-U-N-T-U, Ubuntu. And I'm going to butcher this, but it basically means the only reason I'm here is because you're here, and the only reason you're here is because I'm here. Okay. Uh, yeah. And this is a, a, a way that you're brought up to, to, to behave and to understand the world around you, is we all got to have each other's back. Right. Uh, and right. there it is in our data. Community, way up at the top of the list. It's fascinating yeah. stuff. Um, let me give you mm -hmm. one other example. Uh, we could talk about China. Uh, in China, family is at the top of the list, um, but in a way that it doesn't appear anywhere else in the world. Everywhere oh. else in the world, we have multiple values happening at the same time. Uh, so you and your own personal values and uh, as a nation, the United States, Canada, Europe, everywhere else in the world, you kind of run on a handful of values simultaneously. You got, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven values that are in various order of importance. And this is how you're navigating your life. Right. In China, it's family and only family until family's all good. Once you got your family in a place where you're, everybody's yeah. content and happy, then you start paying attention to other values. So oh. sort of like there's a primary value and then there's secondary and tertiary values that come after that. Yeah. And then if you suddenly something, your family goes wrong, let's say grandpa dies, you yeah. zip back up to the top of this pyramid. Everything else can just take a hike because I'm back on trying to sort family stuff out. And once right. it's all cool again, I'll go back into my other values. It's the only place on earth where we see that separation of a primary value from everything else. And it, you think about the, um, you know, the sort of way uh, that um, I have many Chinese friends and the importance of family to them is, is paramount. I've actually got a really interesting theory. I've never proven this and I don't know that I ever will, but you know, the, the Chinese are very um, large consumers of luxury goods uh, uh -huh. and they like those luxury goods to be, it's a big giant paintbrush I'm using here, but in general, what the luxury market will tell you, the luxury um, industry will tell you is that Chinese luxury consumers like there to be logos. They want other people to see that they're wearing branded merchandise or carrying a branded bag or whatever it is. Right. And I think everybody thinks it's because they're trying to show off their financial well-being. I actually uh -huh. think what they're trying to do is say, my family's okay. Look how well my family is doing. I can have a Louis Vuitton bag. Okay. My family yeah. is doing so well, I can have this fancy car. I don't think it's about showing off wealth. It's about showing off family stability and family, um, that the family's all good. Interesting theory, anyway. I can bite on that. I definitely would bite on that.
Welcome to 2024, and thank you for listening to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. I'd like to take you behind the scenes of therapy-informed financial planning, where we talk about emotions, we talk about retirement plans, we talk about painful family experiences with money, and so much more. There's no need to hide things that leave you feeling embarrassed or ashamed about your financial situation. This year, we watch couples and individuals work through financial anxiety and start talking lovingly about money. We saw couples and individuals take action towards their goals, like closing a business that no longer fit them, paying off debt that felt crushing, increasing their comfort with their realized wealth, and ultimately overcoming some of those financial secrets that have been plaguing the relationship. Ultimately, the best part was seeing smiles return to our clients' faces about life, relationships, and money. This is why we do therapy-informed financial planning. I invite you to make 2024 the year you start therapy-informed financial planning. Check the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute consultation. Consumer behavior is so interesting. I mean, just the psychology of consumer behavior is so interesting. And being able to, I think if anything, right, being able to challenge the status quo assumption about what it means, right? Because like the first thing that I go to you know, for me is like, oh, people are using status luxury goods to compensate for insecurity. I don't feel good about myself. So I'm going to use this branded good to make myself feel better. And, you know, I'm not saying that's the right explanation all the time. It's an explanation. I think that's one of these things, you know, for couples, especially, you know, is like, we got to check our assumptions about why we think things are ordered the way they are. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great point. When you think about this back in terms of let's get back to the podcast and the folks who are listening today. Hey everybody. Um, it's important to know that why people are doing things, why your partner and your family is behaving in a certain way may not be for the reasons that you think are the obvious ones. Um, buying the expensive handbag isn't maybe uh, logical to you. But what that other person in your family is doing isn't buying an expensive handbag. What they're doing is buying some, I don't know, one of the reasons we see people buy luxury goods has to do with wanting to um, respect uh, someone that they look up to. So it could be that there's a boss at work who also has that luxury handbag, and it's their way of saying, I'm one of your mentors. I'm one of your mentees. I respect okay. you. So I want to have the you have. So mm. somehow that to me feels like a um, an important layer in the conversation to get to if you're trying to find out why your partner or your family is behaving and doing things in the way that they do and see if you're aligned on some of those things. Don't jump to the conclusion that they're doing things for the reasons you would do them or the reasons you think they would do them. Here's a great mm. little thing you can do, a great, a great tool. Um, you know how... There's a certain age for boys and girls, maybe a little bit different for everybody, but where they just ask all kinds of questions. They just keep wanting to go, why, 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 yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, if if you can do that around any of these issues mm-hmm. and get to the point where there's no more answers, uh-huh. now you're talking about a value. So why did you buy that $4,000 handbag? Well, because I liked it. Why? Because it was um, a nice color. Why, why did you think that? Well, because it goes with all the rest of my clothes. Why is that important? Well, because 
I wanted to make sure that I wasn't wasting my money and buying something that only went with one thing. Oh, uh, and why is not wasting your money important to you? I just always want to look my best. Why? Just keep going and going and going and going. And if there's no more, when you hit the bottom, what they're going to be talking to you about is some deep rooted value that was the reason why mm -hmm. that chain of logic made sense. So by unpacking that chain of logic down to the point where there's nowhere left to go, now you got mm -hmm. down to the bedrock driver behind those decisions, and that's a value. Now you check your own values going through the same process. Why did I do that? Why do I want that? Why did I do that? Now, if you can find that you've got the same values around things like what are we going to buy and what are we not going to buy? Well, then you have some common ground, even though you may find that those values are manifesting in different ways. For one of you, it's by doing these things and one of you is doing those other things. But get down to that commonality. Now you've got a place to build back up from and go, okay, if what we're both trying to do is honor this value, how about if we met at this point and we did it like this, so you got some of what you needed and I got some of what I needed. It's a great way to maybe start to pick some of this stuff apart. Yeah, I think, you know, in the world of therapy, I think we call it like the seven whys, you know, and it's just, you just keep asking, why is that? And why is that? And you do get down to the much deeper reasons. We're trying to get to like, what's the underlying motive? What's the underlying need that's trying to be met? And it's because it's never the surface explanation. There's always something deeper there. And oftentimes, right, it's partly in their lived experience, their past, you know, so that same type of question of the branded bag is, well, I never felt like I could afford this type of thing. And so like, I just, you know, and on one side, it's like, and now I can't, so I want to get it. Or on the other side, it's like, some for some people, their spending is out of control. And it's like, they realized, they didn't realize it was connected to never being able to buy a branded thing. And they felt excluded. Which, yeah. you know, if you feel excluded, then you're hitting on belonging, which is a value. Yes. You got it. Yeah. Yeah, it all comes it's, down to our values. Values are the source code for every feeling, behavior, decision, everything you do. Maybe this is a good moment to talk about neurology because it'll help people understand yeah. the way our brains work. So yeah. there's a inside our prefrontal cortex, there's a little piece called the insula. Uh -huh. And the yeah. insula's job is to take a look at what's going on and boss you around. Yeah. So it tries to get its hand on as much data as it can. So it's the sights and sounds and smells and what everything's all going on around you. And then your experiences and your, um, your thoughts and whatever else it can get its hands on. I go, okay, so we're here yeah. trying to pick one can of soup in the grocery store. I got two cans of soup. Right. Right. Which one am I going to take? Now, in a split second, this is happening. Like, you don't even know right. it's happening. It's not a conscious decision. Yeah. yeah. No. But something about this can of soup versus this can of soup, about the label or the price or the colors or something, is lining up with the only thing that your insula uses to make your decisions, which is how does all this reality that I'm consuming compare to my values? Oh. And you're going to choose the can of soup that's the most aligned with your values. And it'll take a a split second and your brain, because it's a super smart, massive computer, is going to go, right. poop, that's the one that I'm more values aligned with. And the reason that that's the one you choose is because when you get values alignment, it feels good, which is actually code for 
you get a dopamine hit. Yeah. So right. just like exercising or sex or all the other ways you can get a hit of dopamine, finding things that you're in aligned with your values gives you a dopamine hit. And we know what happens when that happens. It's addictive. You want more. You want more. So we run around all day. These biological processes going, get me more dopamine. Uh, and the way to do that is to find stuff that's aligned with your values. Like, ah, that feels good. Uh, it's that little rush you get when you buy that thing that you really, really wanted for a long time and you finally get it and you're like, ah, that's dopamine. You just gotta, you just like, you basically just had a little miniature orgasm. Uh, and <laughs> oh, <laughs> and yeah. then it wears off and you need more. So you go looking for more and more and more. And so that's, that's what being human is. You wake up every morning jonesing for uh, dopamine and you run around trying to find it in every way you can. And one way you can do that is by staying in alignment with your values. Oh my gosh. I love all the energy that you just shared. And I just had this major light bulb moment as you're talking, you know, we, in, in both financial planning and therapy world, we talk a lot about getting in alignment with your work and what are you doing? Right. And really beneath that is like getting in alignment with your values. What do you really value doing? Who are you? And are, who are you is, is your values. And so, yeah. You know, I, I know like that's why I've made major career transitions is because I, I didn't know, but I know better is it's really the, the chosen path was not in alignment with all of my values. Maybe it was part of my value system. And so like as I'm maturing and growing and better understand myself, I realize like the unique expression of Ed and who I am and my values lead me to do this combination of work. But if I'm only doing this combination of work, I don't feel so great. And what, but when I'm doing work that is like, it's why you have a hard time motivating yourself to do work. You don't want to do because you know, there's no dopamine at the end of it. You're like, eh, this is boring. <laughs> right. Which is, which is your brain's this code for this, this isn't getting me any drugs. <laughs> Where's my drugs. I want right. my dopamine. Right. <laughs> I want those. Hits. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing how neurochemicals and values are connected, isn't it? Yeah, it's a fat, and I've only just scratched the surface. I mean, there's so many other processes and, and uh, things that are going on inside our brain. But we see it in all other fields of behavioral science as well. If you look at sociology, for example, the study of masses of people, which is what we are, by the way. We're a, a sociological data set that we've built with this close to a million surveys around the world yeah. now. Uh, we're, we're primarily set up to measure and map. Why is this group of people doing this thing or this group of people doing that thing? So yeah. you can, you can quite simply, not quite simply, I don't want to judge this, make it sound simple, but after a fact, you can analyze behaviors and say, Oh, I see what happened. This group of people did this thing because they were trying to find alignment around these values. And this group of people did this thing because they're trying to find alignment around these values. But the trick has been, how do we figure that out in advance? And that's what we've been able to do with the research and the data set that we've built at the Value Graphics Project is we've now amassed enough of an inventory of values that we can tell organizations in advance of a thing happening how it's going to play out. You're going to have a group of people go in this direction and a group of people go in that direction. So you can try and find the commonalities there and play into that. Or if yeah. what you're trying to do is just get these folks or those folks, well, here's the secret recipe you need in order to get these folks to pay attention and these folks to pay attention. So that's the big breakthrough, I think, is we've taken what 
behavioral scientists have known for a very long time, and we've made it into a predictive tool instead of a reactive body of knowledge. I think that's the, I don't think I've ever thought about it that way before, but I think that's, that's kind of the, the crux of the matter. And I, I love that. And I think, you know, so the, the nice thing, there will be people that are listening that work in large organizations and they're probably having light bulbs go off around why they're having trouble in their organization, either as a leader or as experiencing the leadership, trying to lead change when it's causing more division than it is benefit. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, let's, you know, let's come back and look through the values. But I also think predictively, right, that's, you know, I, I live at that more micro family level. How are we going to predict which couples will make it and thrive and which couples will struggle and ultimately end up in divorce, right? Because that's, and for most people in a life planning perspective, that's, that's a big failure. We don't, we don't want to go into an intimate relationship and have it fail. Yeah. So now we're crossing into the psych world of psychology. And, um, you know, our, as I said, our data set was only ever built uh, to profile large groups of people. It right. wasn't meant as a one-on-one -on -one profiling tool. That said, there's, there's some little tricks. Right. And if you remind me before we're done today, I'll give everybody uh, three questions that they can use to ask each other and start to find out values on a one-on-one -on -one level. But, but what, we're, what we are launching in the fall is a new tool. Um, that'll allow us to uh, sort of go head to head with Clifton Strengths and all those other um, uh, psychological assessment tools. And our hope is that organizations will start using that as a way to understand teams. Now, we, we can do that work with our sociological profiling methodology now. So let's say yeah. somebody listening today is, uh, you know, works at Company X. And they're trying to make some new stuff happen and there's a problem and can't figure out why everybody's behaving the way they're behaving. Well, we can come in and profile the entire organization and go to the C-suite and say, here's what's going on. You got three kinds of people here inside the company. And these folks are only going to respond if you line it up with these values. And these folks need to hear about it this way. And these folks want these parts of the story in the front and the center of the uh, right. communication. And if you honor those three sets of values, you're going to find those three groups are starting to, you know, get along and do the things you need them to do. Right. By the way, the fourth group you should always look at in those situations is the talent pool that you're pulling from next, because otherwise you're only figuring out the values of the current folks. It's like being a fly locked in amber, right? You've only got the next guy comes in the door. He's not part of this anymore. Some three right. people leave. Uh, you need to you need to be aware of the talent pool as well, which is when the sociological profiling really comes in handy. But for leaders, this is uh, an amazing thing to be able to know. Because we're, as leaders, always struggling with how do I not just get the reactions and the outcomes and the outputs that I need, how do I get people invested? How do yeah. I get people to care? How do I get people to um, respond uh, as part of this larger unit called the organization and, and see that this is about us all moving forward in good ways on behalf of all of us and our consumers and the communities we serve and everybody else involved. Well, that's about telling people the story through a filter of what they're listening for. Give them their dopamine hit right. and they'll suddenly be on side. You got to know what people need what to get what dopamine though. You got to figure out <laughs> who are the groups inside the organization. Right. Right. 
So yeah. So the three questions. You want me to dive into that, or yeah, did I let's did, do that as we bring this to this conversation? Because I, those three questions, I think that would be a great way to finish this up. Okay. Cool. So this is super inaccurate compared to what we can do profiling an audience and the way I give my keynotes, which is always based on a profile for that group of people. Okay. Uh, this is like the sketch on the back of a napkin, right? This is not. Okay. It's not not super accurate, but it's a start. Don't send any letters. Hey, this was not spot on. This was not perfect precise. This is good yeah, enough. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, this started, you asked like, how do people know if they're going to get a divorce? So I don't want you like calling me and suing me because this didn't work. Uh, (laughs) But but, uh, we've tested these questions around the world more times than I can count. And they start the conversations down at the level of values. So the first question, why do you go to work? Mm, uh Uh, so people will tell you all kinds of things. They go to work because they got to pay their bills, because it's their creative outlet, because they're trying to make a difference in the world, because they need to serve their family, because, 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 because. Those are values. That's what's coming up. You listen to enough people answer that question or just the one person you're talking to, Get make sure you ask the seven, I like the seven whys. I've never heard that before. We'll keep using that. The seven whys around their response. You get down to the bottom, but why do you go to work? That's a massive decision you're making in your life. And it's going to be about a value if we can get you down to that level. Second right. question. You just won the lottery. Why would you give away half? Now, this one you have to work a little harder because people will tell you who they want to give half to. They want, oh, I have cancer society because my Aunt Sally and the, or whatever. You, you need to get them to talk about why would they give away half? Is it legacy? Is it social standing? Is it trying to make a difference in the world? Is it whatever, whatever it gets down to after those why questions, you'll get down to a value. And the third one, which is my favorite and perhaps the easiest one to use when you're like talking with your friends or something, because it doesn't feel like, okay, now we're going to ask values questions. It can just be a fun question to ask and like start to spy on them a little bit without them knowing. Uh, so you get to write a letter to yourself from 10 years ago. Your 10 years ago self. What advice would you give to yourself? And more importantly, why? Why that advice? So, again, you're going to have to question a bit, but you know, you get your friends over for a dinner party, get a couple glasses of wine in them and say, Hey, I got a fun game. Why don't, what would you say to yourself if you could say anything to yourself from 10 years ago? What would you say? And people say, Oh, I'll buy Google stock. It's like, Yeah, okay, cool, whatever. Uh, <laughs> You're being funny, but, but why would you say that? Why that? And then keep going down the why ladder, right? Uh, you learn a lot about your friends and you see the thread there. Why go to work? Why give away half the lottery winnings? And why would you say those things to yourself? It's why it's Simon Sinek's why these are some really great tools to help you get down to that level of what's driving people and what's driving people is their values. So with that, if, if people are saying, man, I love this, I want more of it, the dopamine is hitting high on them, where do they go to find more about your organization, maybe even to get the list of 56 values so that they can like have the language to know what is what okay. are my values? I don't even know what my values are, David. 
how do I figure out what these things are? <laughs> okay, I'll give you I'll give you a few choices here, and we um, put them all in the show notes. I'm sure, so you can uh, grab yeah. them there too. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about the research company, about Value Graphics, and our work um, profiling audiences of people, uh, that's ValueGraphics.com. One word, Value Graphics, just like demographics. If you want to know more about my books and my speaking and the stories I'm trying to get the world to adopt, you can go to my speaking site, and that's davidallisoninc.com. My latest book uh, is available on Amazon around the world, and that book is called The Death of Demographics. Uh, And in there, it's some great resources and tools you can use to find your own values and values of people you care about. Um, And then lastly, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, we're always pushing out new stuff we find and fun facts and tools and things like that. I'll keep going here. Um, we have, um, on my website, you can sign up for the value graphics or the, the human values handbook. And that's a more, we call it the more or less monthly, uh, mailing that goes out with, uh, some, uh, you know, new things we found and tools to help you be more values driven in your life. We're certainly not shy. So it's not hard to find us online. It's not hard to find me. Uh, and yeah, if I can close with one quick story about why this is super more, even more important than all the things we've talked about right now. Uh, there's, 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 there's a, you know, I asked you when you introduced me, I said, don't talk about it as the value graphics research company, because that's yeah. one part of the value graphics project. And I want to tell you why the value graphics project is a thing and what we're actually trying to accomplish with all the work we do around the world. You know, right now, organizations and individuals, we all look at new people, new Mm -hmm. audiences, and we use demographics to try and understand them. We say, look, there's a whole new group of customers or somebody I'm going to potentially get to talk to or whatever. Our brains default to demographics. Are they... Young, old, rich, poor, black, white, gay, straight, male, female, all of these things, because that's how our species has survived is by making snap judgments of each other based on what we can see. Yeah. But that's just doesn't work in a modern uh, world. It's not Mm -hmm. accurate to say that all baby boomers are the same, are the same as each other, or all men are the same as each other, or all rich people are the same as each other. It's just inaccurate. In fact, It's only 10.5% accurate. Uh, And so, and we know that from talking to a million people around the world, right? Right. From doing Uh, the data work. Yes. Yeah. So it's only 10% accurate. It's 90% fail, which is why if you're in the business world and you've ever sent out a direct marketing, a direct mail thing on email, uh, uh, you get a 3 or 4% open rate on a direct marketing email. You think it's amazing. That's a big win because the best you could possibly get is 10%. Uh, we're 90% inefficient in the way we think about each other. So it doesn't work. But more importantly, what it's doing is reinforcing the behavior and saying that the right way to think about each other is based on the color of our skin and our gender and our age and our everything else that all those other labels that we typically use. And so it's reinforcing stereotypes because what happens is you look at a room full of what we say 70% of my audience is women. Cool. Well, what are you going to do with that? Like make everything pink? Like we, we, it it forces you to use stereotypes. And those stereotypes are the fuel for ageism and sexism and racism and homophobia 
and dot, 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 all the rest of that list. We're determined to continue looking at each other based on these stereotypical models from millennia ago, from olden days. And instead, we have to realize that the only way to truly understand each other and come to a world where we're a little bit less divisive and a little bit less prone to fighting with each other is to look at what brings us together, not what separates us. And what brings us together is our values. So as corny as it sounds, if we just change the way we look at each other, we can change the world. So it's good for your business. It's good for you. It's good for all of us if we can switch over to a values-driven way of thinking about each other and the people in the world around us. That's the real reason we're here. Uh, I love it. And I, I can be on board with that. Let's looking at each other through a values-based lens instead of all these other demographic variables. And the impact of what you're saying is profound. If people will just stop and listen for a minute, think about it. What would happen if you stopped looking at people through their demographics and making decisions about them and actually understood their values? The way you relate to people will fundamentally shift. Absolutely. It'd be a much better world for all of us to live in. I love it. Thank you so much for your time and generosity and the work you're doing in the world to make it a more inhabitable and less divisive place for us to live. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed.